This place is different. Special. The others don't want to talk about it because it scares them. But we all know it. We all feel it. Welcome to the Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and we have to split now into Team Raft or Team Hatch. We're at that point in season one, and I am on Team Hatch. My name is Joanna Robinson, and I am on Team Raft. And I'm Neil Miller, and I am on Team Hatch. Hatch, Hatch, Hatch. Raft, Raft, Raft. So Uh we are here to talk about (laughs) season one, episode 22, Born to Run. It's another Kate episode. A lot of secrets are divulged amongst our islanders this week. Uh, so it might be a weird week to join us, but if this is your first week joining the podcast, hello. We split the podcast into two different segments with an interview smack dab in between. The first segment we call The Calm and will only include discussion of the first 22 episodes of Lost, which we have already covered on this podcast. And you could go back on the feed and catch up with us. Uh, if you're watching Lost for the first time and have not watched the remaining five seasons, uh, that does not include season one, which presumably you're watching to watch this podcast, you could join us for The Storm! which is our discussion of this episode in the context of the greater series that'll come after our interview and a sound from our jungle monster. It's also in your podcast notes. If you look down at your podcast application, unless you're driving, just write it out. You'll be fine. Uh, all right. You can also support us at patreon.com slash storm spoilers where you get our bonus content, like our, your choose your own storm where we talk about a subject of your choosing um and of course our weekly storm chasing where we talk about different pop culture things that we're thinking about that is not lost a uh, loss has not come up uh but sometimes it's books television shows you name it we talk about it in the storm but you have to be a subscriber at patreon.com slash storm spoilers for that you do not have to be a subscriber to come see us live in boulder colorado november 21st we'll be at the canyon theater at the library, the Boulder Public Library, that will be uh, part of our holiday Star Wars series of podcasts. So even if you are not all caught up on Lost and for some reason are not digging our Lost content, that's fine. We get to talk about Star Wars and everyone loves talking about Star Wars. I refuse to hear otherwise. Joanna, we have a lot of positive reviews that don't mention that how good Star Wars is, I imagine, but uh, that could <laughs> be might. that could be mentioned in future reviews. You never know. Uh, just if you want more info on um, our 
live show in Denver, you can go to stormpodcast.com and we will have that info up there for you. Uh, how to register this. The, the show is free, but you want to register to snag your seat. Yeah. So free show. It's in a really nice theater. They have these sound dampening curtains that sort of like roll down and they're red. So it's like, we got to play the reins of Castamere and shut the doors and lower the sound dampening curtains. Lock the gates. All right. So, um, we're going to start with reviews. Uh, we've got a few things to get through here. Uh, so I'm gonna really quickly do this review. The person said I did not need to do a Texas accent, but like, don't you think you've I been should? in Texas for several days now? I'm so. in Texas. Neil and I are sitting across the table. Well, that's that's the thing we haven't said, right? The Neil and I are in the same room. Cheers to you, buddy. Cheers, um, y'all. <laughs> we're in Austin, Texas for Fantastic Fest. I've been here. A year, I think, at this point is how it feels. I'll be here for another year before I leave. Um, but so that means that Mommy Venom's review that she left where she said, no need for a Texas accent. I'm going to butcher with a Texas accent. Anyway, <laughs> with <laughs> Neil uh, in the same room, which is um, a bummer. Okay. So <laughs> I put my hand over my eyes so I can't see Neil's face as I do this. Always five stars, but credit where it's due. Um, I love y'all. But after spending a good portion of the actual episode of Do No Harm screaming at my tablet, quietly, of course, so I didn't wake my kids, I then had the follow-up experience of having you guys fawn all over Kate on the pod last week. I feel compelled to point something out. Kate did not deliver that baby. Please stop saying how great she was. Claire carried him for nine months. Then I had a forced, unmedicated birth in the woods. Some people choose natural birth in the woods. It's beautiful, but it should be of choice. Claire was a rock star to live in her baby, especially with her clueless support team, who apparently didn't realize she would eventually give birth and discuss this in advance. Yeah, that's a knock. I agree. That's a knock on Jack, right? Uh, no birth plan for Claire. <laughs> She didn't even have her go backpack. (laughs) (laughs) Filled with booze, just a bag full of booze. What was her route to the emergency room? The cave from the emergency cave from the beach. Right. Um, all right. Back to this review. Fuck Kate. She got, she just caught the baby and gave bad instructions based on the advice of the island mansplainer Jack, who was also never given birth or apparently, uh, even paid attention in his OBGYN rotation. Claire did all the actual work. Please, please, please recognize this for future generations who might otherwise think that the asshole shouting push is more important than the person with the uterus. Um, there is much more to this review, but I like, I, you know, I mostly agree with Mommy Venom and I like that she wrote this review. It ends with, um, uh, maybe the imagine, or sorry, I forgot my stellar Texas accent. Um, <laughs> Maybe the imaginary lost reboot will have a wor- uh, woke midwife instead, so I don't have to relive this very 2004 example of paternalistic attitudes surrounding birth that we are still crawling out of, out from under in 2019. Love you guys. I know this probably isn't part of your lived experience, so I appreciate the chance to add my thoughts. So thank you, you Molly would Venom. Be, you would be surprised uh, how many okay. births I've watched. What? I, I would be surprised. Uh, work for and I are television. What? <laughs> I work for television shows that uh, uh, used to include lots of births and uh, what? They live births? the births? Were you at the birth? Live births? I, no, I wasn't like actually watching oh, a birth. We can all watch 
people get birth on YouTube, maybe. I don't know. I've never tried. I'm not, I'm not planning Well, I'm saying ever. even if you do, I, I don't think any listener to our podcast would listen and be like, this person's probably seen over 12 births on video. Uh, yes. Uh, but I, I'm definitely like in the 20s at this now, point. Yeah, that's a fun fact that I now know about you. Um, I will say that's that... just something we're all going to have to carry with us now. <laughs> I'm a friend. I'm, I'm really good friends with someone who's going through midwife training. Maybe I should have her on the podcast. I don't know why. Um, oh, yeah, that'd and, be great. Uh, we could talk about like non-chemical ways to give yeah. birth that who are never portrayed on screen because why would I don't know yeah Bella, I should have had her there not gla- it's birth. not glamorous real life is not glamorous no but the, but the point is she she also has a lot of thoughts about like the sort of uh hospital industrial complex birth uh you know too much anyway. pitocin um all right so those those are reviews thank you mommy venom apologize to all of Texas once again for my uh terrible accent you no, too that, can- that was not as bad as you've heard from me. It was hyper real. Great. Yeah. Um, all right. So those, that, that was our reviews. Um, we also, you know, just like want to give you any opportunity to reach us. Uh, so you can tweet at us at Storm Podcast. Uh, you follow us at Storm Podcast where we are like putting up our most 2004 polls. We're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. Uh, our producer Diana is having a lot of fun with the Twitter feed. So you will want to check that out. Uh, as I mentioned before, you can go to stormpodcast.com to get info on our upcoming moves. Um, and then if you want to email us, you can email us at hosts at Storm Podcast. Com, and we have a fun uh, spoiler-free email this week from Sarah. Says, I've got a question for you guys. Love the podcast. Definitely one of the highlights of my week. I jumped into Lost Fandom right before season two, and I was an avid watcher from then until the end. But I haven't rewatched the series since the finale aired. So it's really fun to go back and re-examine a show that I loved so much now that I'm older and hopefully a little bit wiser. Anyway, we all love personality tests, right? And Lost is full of so many character archetypes that I couldn't help but try to figure out who I was most like. Turns out that I would definitely be the jack of the island. Cough, Capricorn, cough. Which is unfortunate, <laughs> seeing as I want to strangle him about 80% of the time. So I'm curious, which lost character you three think you're most like? I'd love to hear responses and your reasoning behind them. Keep up the amazing work. I think we should do this two ways. Number one, I think we should all say who like we think the other person is. Mm-hmm. And then who we think we are, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the best way to Dave, do it. Dave, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, so Joanna gets to be Joanna. Oh, <laughs> and oh bummer. Sticks. Who almost has her identity stolen this week? <laughs> Who almost has her identity stolen this week? Uh, Neil, Neil's tough. There's a couple of ways you could go with Neil. I think the obvious way would be to go with Hurley, and since I go first, I, I'm gonna just pick that off. So that Joanna has to pick a more difficult. No, no, one. there's no rule that we have to pick a different person. Oh, okay. Right. We may all agree. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, and then for myself, I don't know. I would like to be one of the core three. And I think because, uh, males, core three males, I think because I would want to be one of the core three males that ultimately makes me a boon. (laughs) All right, Neil, what do you think? So Dave's John Locke. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Can't give yourself Locke. It's like wearing your own band's right. t-shirt to a concert. I'm obviously Hurley. Keep we agree. Out with Joanna. What a, what a goddamn concert. <laughs> Neil, come through. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Joanna's more of a... Swimmer? 
<laughs> Do you like swimming? <laughs> this one's tough because now I want to pick like a main character. Doesn't be a mean main. Or like an original. I'm not as egotistic as Dave. I don't need to be a core core four. <laughs> you said core three. I say core four. Wait, core four male characters? No, just core four characters. Oh, that's why well, I said Kate. core four. Yeah, core three males. Oh. So, but I I, I guess I could have gender swapped myself. Yeah, that's right. a good point. That's a good point. Is Joanna a character we haven't met yet? She could be like a like a son, as we understand her. But like, I guess that involves pining for a husband, which is the thing. It's yeah. like I I would give Neil like Michael for his like unexpected practicality in the face of jungle logic. Uh, but you know, you don't have a Walt, so it would it doesn't make sense to give you it. But temperament wise, you know, I'd love to think you're a Hurley, but I think you're slightly more island useful than that. Joanna's still uh, Joanna. <laughs> and Neil thinks I'm someone we haven't met yet? Mouth it to me. Well, no. someone we're gonna meet soon. Oh. Ooh. Wow, how intriguing. Let's follow this up in the storm. Um, I will say <laughs> that Neil is obviously Hurley and Dave is obviously John Locke. Uh, it is tough. I don't think – I can't think of someone who's like immediately a lot like me. Um, but I will – like who's the most like complainy, insecure person on the island? Not pregnant Claire. Well, I was going to say Claire. Like maybe I'm like a Rose Claire hybrid because I can be like – I give like good advice and I'm like cool and chill. Until oh, Rose I'm, is a good one. Until I'm not. <laughs> so I say Rose like Claire rising to give right. a very clear answer sort of thing. I didn't think of Rose. I agree with Rose. Thank you. Yeah. That's so cool. Rose rules. Rose fucking rules. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause she gets shit done. Yeah. When she needs to. That's true. Okay. Otherwise she's just hangs out in his wise. Yeah. If she wants to die on a beach, she'll die on a beach whenever she wants. Thank you I very mean, much. I, I guess that's part of it too, but. <laughs> That's not where I was going with it. Well, it's better than Joanna, so I'll definitely take Rose. But I'll follow up on your storm uh, answer later. Oh, that yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, and the last thing that I get to do uh, for my section of the podcast here at the beginning is tell you who I'm going to be talking to in the middle of the podcast. This week, we've got a great guest. They're all great guests, but this week, we've got the great Alan Seppenwall. Uh, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's been right about TV for a while. So he's here to talk to us about Kate and some other things. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Excellent. Neil, remind us what happened this week on the island. Ah, uh, yes. Episode 22, Born to Run. Uh, this episode was directed by Tucker Gates, written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, from a story by Storm guest Javier, Javier Grigio Marswatch, which I'm pretty sure is how you say it. Most, mostly. mostly. Out there. Yeah. Uh, it aired on May 11th, 2005, and it takes place on day 43 on the island, single day episode. In flashbacks, we learn that Kate is on the run, stealing towels and taking illegal showers. Uh, we then meet Tom, played by... Mackenzie Aston! Which I believe we've mentioned before. Mackenzie Aston. Great. We'll talk about him more in a bit. Was it you, Neil, that I talked to about this for 20 minutes in an airport? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Neil looked up at one point. He's like, wait, are we still talking about Mackenzie Aston? I was like, we are. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Um, so we meet Tom. Uh, then through Tom, we meet Kate's mom, who is not happy to see her at all. Uh, we then also see how Tom dies, which is sadly. Uh, on the island, we meet Arst, 
who is a bit of a bummer, if we're being honest. He's got another bad news. Real this guy. downer. <laughs> Real downer. Uh, everyone appears to be preparing for the raft to leave because of trade winds. Uh, so we get a lot of emotion around that. Kate, very specifically, embarks on a plot to take Sawyer's spot on the raft. Uh, they do more of that thing where they flirt fight. It's love, great. Love a flirt fight. Love a good flirt fight. Uh, elsewhere, Locke shows Saeed and Jack the hatch, uh, which is how we've decided to split people up. Now you're team hatch or team raft. Uh, later in the episode, Walt does make it weird by telling John not to open the hatch. And Walt didn't know about the hatch. So that's weird. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> talk about that. Uh, Michael becomes sick. Jack goes on a, uh, detective search for who did it and eventually figures out that it was son. Um, he doesn't know another part, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Sawyer eventually calls out Kate and she finally admits to everyone that she was the marshal's prisoner, that she's a criminal. Uh, it all ends with, <laughs> with us learning that Walt is super weirded out by the hatch and that Kate was in on the poisoning with son. Uh, fun fact, you'll note because we're always looking for the numbers that Kate and Tom's time, uh, the time capsule, the little recording was recorded on 815 of 89, which those are two of the numbers. This week's question. If 12-ish year old you was putting something into a time capsule around the size of a, what is it? Scooby-Doo lunchbox or Brady Bunch lunchbox? What is the lunchbox in this episode? Why can't I remember that? Doesn't matter. If you're putting a thing in the lunchbox, what would it be? Mine would probably be an Egon Spangler Ghostbusters the cartoon animated or the Ghostbusters the cartoon mm. action figure. Yeah. I had the whole like house and the action figures, and I thought Egon was awesome. The nerd one. I had those so that would be mine. and uh filmed little short movies with the with my high eight camera. Uh, except they weren't the Ghostbusters. They had separate plots, but because I had the whole set, and I called them the Backhole Boys, uh, not realizing <laughs> what I was doing. And my parents very so nicely sat their, through several story. episodes of the Backhole Boys and didn't, you know, tell me uh, anything. Okay. It was weird about that. But they had little holes yeah. in their backs because that's where the proton packs would snap in. Uh, I would put a high 8 camera with some of my home movies into it because I thought those were very important at 12. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume that the little plane was, like, Tom's favorite toy at the time. Right, and I guess and that would also be to get the... A, he was trying to sneak a kiss with, with his friend Kate. Yeah. So he's, put, he's, he's all in on this. Because, of, like, he the age of which like, I was 12. Sneak a kisses. He's like, we're gonna get married. She's like, no, lol, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> but, like, you know, they he's were... He's trying, he's 12. Well, I think they were, like, little 12-year-old boyfriend-girlfriend. Okay. I think it was, like, a My Girl situation going on there. Oh, um, for one of them, at least. Maybe not for Kate. I think for Kate. She just didn't want to, like, settle down with him. But she's like, yeah, for now, sure. Sure, bud. That's oh, true. Oh, are you going to grow up to be as handsome as Mackenzie Aston? Great. Also, <laughs> um, the central problem. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joanna's box item. Yeah. So, a couple things. Number one is a new kids on the block lunchbox, which is way uh, better yeah. than <laughs> anything else it might be. Right. Um. So, when I was 12, it was 1993. Mm -hmm. The film Jurassic Park. Oh, uh, was on everyone. I actually mind. have a Jurassic Park lunchbox, <laughs> so I might like might have put my like beat up paperback copy of Jurassic Park mm -hmm. in the lunchbox. Mm -hmm. But also, 
Uh, this was like the beginning of my hardcore experimentation with hippieism. So a, a lot of incense, maybe some crystals, mm. something shaped like a dolphin. Like these would all probably also make their way in there. So that's if I ever open a time crystal, capsule with crystals, <laughs> here's what that sounds like. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I open a time capsule with backhole boys in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're going to, by that point, see, though, that's why that's brilliant, is because you're going to have to search for a high eight player that then converts to some sort of newfangled future screen. You're going to go through all of that, and it's going to oh, be no, the backhole boys. Oh, no, there's an app now that you just say, hey, I have high eight tapes. Can you make them a flash drive? No, Great, like, yeah. Sure. And you have to pay them, like, you know, five bucks, and uh, that's five bucks you spent on backhole boys, and I win. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you have to, like, get a face full of my buried incense, so enjoy that myrrh up your nose or whatever Whoa. it is. Um, it smelled good for the first couple of years. Then it went south. All right, so, um, I've decided to introduce a new segment. Uh, it's called Jacino Corner, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm gonna try to get you guys, if you can't, if you don't have this fact fresh in your mind, do you know the name of... The track that was introduced in this episode. If you already know it, don't don't say. I only know that it's a Kate theme. Uh-huh. Oh, then I could guess. Kate Scape. No. How about you, Neil? Kate Scootin' Boogie. Great guesses, guys. I'm going to give you one more clue. It involves a location that happens at the very beginning of the episode and Kate's name. Uh, Motel Kate. Super close. Motel kate But think, But think of puns. Uh, Kate's Motel. Kate's Motel. Oh. Hey, psycho Like the reference. Bates Motel. Thanks, Jacino. Um, yeah, so I guess we were doing like a nice ode to the, ode to the shower scene, I suppose. But, um, is this, are we talking about the episode? Can I? Yeah. Go off? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've done things on other podcasts, mostly Game of Thrones podcasts, like call like Wig Watch or Wig Corner or whatever. So like, let's talk about Kate's wig at the beginning of this episode. Because first of all, it's one of the worst wigs you'll ever see on Lost. Spoiler alert, it's not the last terrible wig Kate will wear, but it is one of the worst wigs you'll see on Lost. And then the show has the audacity to try to make us believe that that is her natural hair and she has to dye it back brown because not, oh, let me pull off this terrible blonde wig. And the only reason I can think of to do that, maybe if it's like a psycho homage, Bates Hotel homage, but I don't think it is. Maybe they need her to be blonde for that. But like... I have so many issues with the fact that, like, A, if Kate put box dye in her hair, it would not come out brown. The Like, the beautiful color that her hair is in this episode, it would be, especially in 2004, much flatter. Secondly, I, I, I don't know why they're doing it except to, like, have us be like, ooh, who is that blonde? But, like, the mysteries, and I can say this and you guys can't, but the mystery is done as soon as she takes her shirt off and you're like, that lady has no hips. It's our Kate. <laughs> That's Kate. Um, but well, yeah. yeah, because we've seen Evangeline Lily from that angle several times already At in this season point, one. We have. We so have it's like, oh, that's Kate. Yeah, that's Kate. So yeah. I've, I've, I just, I, I hope everyone, uh, probably mostly women, but hey, I don't discriminate, had a, had an equally angry time, uh, with the wig and the do- hair dye, or maybe it was just me. Anyway. It's dumb. I think the hair dye edition is dumb because you could have just let it be a wig and I would yeah, have been like, oh, yeah, good. It off. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Right. She's a fugitive. You know, and, she has wigs. And, yeah. What is it? Because it's, they just, there's like a quick shot of it falling in at her feet in the shower. And it's like, was that the shot that they needed it for? Like, the hair dye? 
Right. So we just need to get like if it's a wig, then we don't get to have Kate in the shower, and maybe we want to have Kate in the shower for you know. Well, if it was a guy. wig, it's, it's a huge stretch to believe that she would take off a wig and then, then take, take a, a shower. shower. <laughs> Never. <laughs> and then that that in within the shower montage somewhere they would show her feet. This is not. <laughs> I guess maybe they, it was just a different time then. I didn't, I didn't remember that, that it ended <laughs> they were in the hair dying. So when I was watching it the first time, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a wig. And then she takes off her shirt and I'm like, no one, if they're going to take a shower, take, do you take your shirt off before your wig or do you take the wig off before the shirt? I'm a person who has never worn a wig. Non. Well, the show wants us to believe that <laughs> it wasn't seen, a wig. You've seen 25 births, but you've never worn a wig. So these, <laughs> this is your life. Yeah. Um. It's, it's, it's a very specialized profession. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be her real hair. It's really ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's dumb. It's completely silly. Outside so, of that, on. I think the way that this flashback is filmed was really noteworthy, especially after having some, you know, uh, sad talking flashbacks. Uh, I always appreciate how Kate's uh, a lot of Kate's uh, cinematography and flashback is concerned with motion. Either she's in motion or the camera's in motion around her. Uh, specifically to set up the geography of the hospital that she goes to visit uh, her mom at that like first scene, it sort of feels like an extension of the cold open with like the weird angles over the shower and the motion through the motels. It's like, uh, it's almost like the camera is thrilled to not be on the Island and actually have, you know, some straight lines for composition and whatnot. Anyway, it ends up being really effective uh, on the rewatch and catching my attention in the way that, a lot of flashbacks can be uh, more about why uh, did Jack not roll up his pant legs in terms of composition uh, than less about actually, I think, good cinematography. We had some Jack Defenders take a closer Zapruder-like look at that uh, pool scene, and they wanted to point out to us that Jack does indeed roll his pants up. He just doesn't do them far enough. Mm. Half measures. Got it. Oh. <laughs> um, also, according to Lossopedia, the intro is like an, a deliberate homage to Psycho. And maybe, it, maybe we rewatch Psycho. Some of those camera moves will make sense, more sense as well. Uh, Dave, but like, and we should point out that Carlton Cuse, uh, went on to make a TV series called Base Motel. Um, so, you know, he's obviously interested in Psycho, but I guess that's the idea. And the hair dye is supposed to be like the blood, but like, uh, it's a long way do to better. go. Do better. Do better. Evangeline Lily's like a better uh, way to begin with. All right. right. Or have someone try and stab her. That's the whole thing in Psycho. Oh, she gets stabbed by the news that she receives. Oh, right, it's an emotional right, 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 right. Oh. Although I do, I will agree with Dave. There's a, it's not just the motion, but there's an energy to this episode that I think it's, it's got a very sort of efficient pacing to it. And I think that this is something that there are, and we've seen a couple episodes in season one where the, flashback and the island story fit together really nicely yeah and they fit together really efficiently and it feels it's you know it's a good quick um sort of interesting episode where some other stuff happens but for the most part um this is both stories about kate um and kate's one of those characters that they you know her problems her like being on the run um you know gonna go to jail if she gets back to civilization is something that translates well to the island. So I think it, it works really well with Kate. Um, but also Evangeline Lilly just is great. So she's she great, great every second she's on screen. She's absolutely so. great. I mean, I think, um, you know, people, the lost fandom in general had this, uh, running joke of like, 
they would get annoyed by Kate episodes, but like I like Kate episodes and I especially like off island Kate stuff. And I think, you know, we sort of said that all the last run of episodes in the season were good. I think if you take the on island plot of last week and the off island plot of this week and put them together, that's a really good episode mm-hmm. of Lost. But the other halves are a little weak on these two episodes, I think. I think the on island who poisoned Michael. Um, um, I like the on island set this week because it not only introduces uh, a new lossy that has a dynamic that thus far had to be filled uh, by like a character that we like. So putting a new annoying science character, science teacher character in, you know, allows them to lay down truths, but also doesn't tarnish uh our other characters, like when Jack goes yeah, off the Arst handle. Yeah, is the real hero here. Yeah, and then uh, everybody's secrets come out, which I think is like great. That's what I what that's what you want in serialized storytelling. Well, we don't. We, somebody's secrets come out. I mean, I just, we don't. Everyone could all, be a B plot. Honestly, this feels like an island B plot to me. The the po- mm-hmm. well, I mean, I think the poisoning Who is Michael. But I think the poisoning taken with. Walt and Locke taken with Locke, Saeed, and Jack at the hatch. I think all those things, all those revelations coming at once and then ending uh, with uh, Walt telling uh, Michael that he now wants to get off the island, but he, you know, lit the first raft on fire. It's like all these tinier secrets that they had amongst themselves have at least been expressed to one other person at this point, finally. Uh, which uh, is well, that is Dave's favorite thing. Yeah, forward he forward must, motion. He most of, hates a secret. <laughs> less secrets. It, it's like I I, I used to approach uh, television watching, and definitely when I certain times of Lost, uh, where you watch it and you're like, if I was like playing this like a video game, or if I was like in this situation, like the 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 motives and goals seem so clear. But it's only because everybody's not like completely talking with each other. And so it seems very weird for television shows to sometimes hold it back for no other reason than the plot couldn't go forward. I don't think that's the case with Lost Season 1. But that doesn't make it any more thrilling this episode when it starts to be like teams. You're part Raft, you're part Hatch, you're, you know, the Losties are all together. We've kind of forgotten that the others exist, but Charlie makes a shout out to a. You know, uh, Monster Eats the Pilot uh, single, <laughs> which sounds like a great song, by the way. Uh, it really does. And, like, I like the chords he's playing, too. So it's like the the human, the lost secrets have opened up, uh, and now the island sequence, secrets remain to be cracked. And I like that positioning leading into our uh, finale episodes. Well, it does feel like there there is an element of this episode where you can feel them starting to starting to ramp up because it's it's hard to tell what in this episode is the a b c stories you know on the island because they're all sort of interwoven together because that feels like it's it's sort of the ramp up to what i mean next week there isn't even it's i'll spoil it next week it's about multiple characters it's not just a kate Mm, or a jack or a uh so the finale is where you know this feels like the precursor to the finale um you know, I like it. I think no, I, mean, I like the episode. I just think I think the on island is a little weak, though. Yeah, it's nice to have people's secrets coming out. I think the like whole whodunit thing is a little like funky for some reason for me. Maybe it's because Detective Jack irritates me. I don't know. Um, them inserting sun into it is weird. I felt like 
Well, it's like it's got to have like three reversals. Yeah. Like you're sure it's Kate and then like, oh, no, it's son. But then like, oh, no, it was kind of Kate. And like if any of us were thinking for two seconds, we're like, hey, remember how uh, Kate dosed Jack's juice literally (laughs) last week? (laughs) Is it is it juice or is it goop? What what happened? Which kind did you get? I wonder who put the powder in someone's drink. Uh, this week. Right. If Michael would have woken up with a big goop on his head or something, <laughs> then we would have known that it was Locke. We would Locke. have known. It was Locke with the goop on the beach. <laughs> uh, he does goop his leg in this episode though, right? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Walt catches him goop, self-gooping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love a good self-goop. Good, good old <laughs> self-gooping. <laughs> um, I do like, but I really like the off-island. I like, this is one of my favorite, uh, off-island plots and I really like the Kate of it all. Um, I like this reveal of this character, Tom. It's a really efficient way to show, to show, not tell someone. I mean, like they cheat a little cause they've got this like time capsule tape, but it's a, we, we realize how important he is. Um, first, I think the first time we realize how important he is really is when he tells her like, cause we don't know. She's not like, Oh, I guess I got to go see my childhood sweetheart or mm-hmm. something like that. She's ghost. You know, she like goes see Tom. We don't know who he is. We know he's married. He's got a kid. Like we get some context clues. It's not when he's like, it's not fair for you to come back that we're like, Oh shit. And then he like, we see the airplane. He's like my airplane. He does the like same motion sort of with the airplane. You're like, this is the guy that you going to die. Like, she going to yeah. kill you. Not just like he's gonna die, like that, that like Kate is still, you know, went through hell and high water to get this plane. And then, yeah, and then you're probably gonna die. And then the way he dies is like very sad and upsetting, mm-hmm. you know, she, and, and you watch it and you're like, and extremely it, her fault. It, it mm. is and it isn't. <laughs> she tries to get him to get out of the car, like, well, sort of many times. Yeah. <laughs> he insists on getting in the car. So like, I think, yeah, she can feel guilty for his death. I mean, his, he's got a, got baby and a wife and he's right it was unfair of her to come back (laughs) but like she didn't kill him you know but then we are introduced to more mysteries for kate right we don't know why her mom is screaming seeing her sure we don't know why a 12 year old kate told we still don't know why she's ultimately on the run yeah and we don't know why she told 12 year old tom you know why i gotta keep running you know um i'll just say i don't think it's a spoiler this show's about bad dads, right? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, please God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away from here. Didn't I? But yeah, but like the, uh, but Kate's mom screaming at her is an interesting wrinkle to that yeah. whole plot. That's so. one of those, that's one of those really great lost things where they just throw in a weird question. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, man, we're going to have to wait probably a long time to figure that one out, but. Good well, I think it's all really well paced because each time we're back with Kate, there's another like, oh, reveal, which sometimes with like was the case with Jack's last episode. It's not so much like, yeah, it's interesting to plant that he's actually got married. But most of the time we were flashing back. So we had more emotional context to Jack needing to save Boone. Whereas this one, it's like not only are we getting emotional context, but the story is like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And it's a uh, pretty pretty exciting for for a lost flashback on its own. We should say because we've gotten this far and haven't said it yet that uh, Kate's mom was played by the great Beth Broderick, who a lot of us know as uh, Aunt Zelda from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, that's right. <laughs> She's done a ton of things. She was also <laughs> great on Sharp Objects, but that is, I think, her probably her most iconic role. She's not looking her finest in that hospital bed, but no. we can't fault her. Um, but that is her, undeniably. So, and also, uh, Kate gives her a pseudonym as Joan Hart. Melissa Joan Hart played Sabrina. 
Oh, oh. Wow. Oh. I don't know if that's intentional, but I don't know that it's not either. <laughs> so, um, no, but I like I like all of it. And, and speaking of cinematography, one of my favorite shots of Lost is in this episode, the shot of the tree, like above where they've dug up the uh, – and it's like lit. It's meant to look like it's just lit by headlights, but of course it's lit by like some other very strong light mm-hmm. behind it. But it's just this beautiful like late night backlit gorgeous tree uh, situation. So – I really like that that shot a lot. Uh, all right, main island plot. Uh, we have Michael gets poisoned, as we sort of referenced, but monsoon winds have pushed uh, the raft up. It's time finally for our finale ticking clock to be applied to uh, season one of Lost. I don't, I don't know if there's a ton in this episode uh, that we need to address uh, before going into the storm because we're gonna have a supersized finale that's going to wrap a lot of this up but i do want to talk about uh walt and Locke. yes uh, walt's walt walt walt's maybe special power of telling them not to open that thing uh but with a with a mere touch uh do we once i think this is something we need to talk about more in the store oh okay i I just wanted to mention it i mean it's it's a it's a cool added like ooh, what what are these powers mm-hmm. that Walt has? Is there- yeah. yeah. Well, we were just talking about the Kate's mom thing. It's like these are more, you know, they're just stacking questions on top of the Walt thing. Like that, all we know about Walt's uh, specialness is that he can make birds fly into windows. But they keep coming back to like there's something about Walt that's worth paying attention to. And I love that. Right. All because right. Walt rules. I mean, it's a it's a crackerjack episode with the flashback and then setting up all the dominoes. A lot of to fall. questions raised in this yeah, one. Guess a, guess I, what's coming? Oh, sorry. What, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what, what's happening? <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, like, just a few other things before we get to our most 2004 thing. I just want to say that, like, Arst. Um, uh, we'll talk more about Arst. This isn't the last time we're going to see him, but like. Does he not appear to have just affixed a few paper plastic bags to a stick and is like waving it around? Yeah. As, okay. It's like, it's a, he made a windsock and that's fine. It just like doesn't not make him look like a crazy person for him to mm-hmm. be like, also, I know science. Also, yes, it is weird that we have not yet met Arst. Sure. So, but you know how casting works. But you know, um, you know, people, people have been wondering about these other people on the beach. So, sure. you know, you got to bring them forward at some point. Um, yeah, and then uh, there there is a discussion really quickly. I know uh, the about like who gets to know what when, right? And uh, Locke and Jack go back and forth. And this is something we've talked about, right? Like Jack gets to keep his secrets and gets mad when Locke keeps his secrets, and sort of back and forth. Also, and it all should... ends with Kate's big secret being outed, and Jack being the only one who really knew. <laughs> and we we should uh, point out that despite the fact that Shannon lifted it off him while he was napping, Jack has just put the key right back. Where it was before, uh, on his throat. So Shannon's probably the only person that can do that on the island, though. So he's good. Okay. <laughs> and do you think the little little lunchbox is supposed to be like a mini hatch? I don't know. They like dig up this thing, and it's like it's a little mini mystery box, right? I mean, the, box? the message of this episode is: don't open anything you dug up in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Joanna. R.I.P. Joanna's passport. Um, yeah. R.I.P. Joanna's identity. All right. Credit so, score. Everything. Um, do you guys have any candidates for the for the Boone Carlo Memorial Falling Down Award? Because I have one. Oh no! I... 
Uh, Dave, do you have one? I can't think of uh, memorable falling down. downs except for maybe Michael's initial stumble. Yes, that's the one. Mike tumbles off the raft with stomach pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and can you imagine getting like poisoned in a way that, like, you know, probably you'll have to evacuate some things? Yeah. On an island, uh, not yeah, intentionally by another person, but by the <laughs> surroundings. Yes, that would ha- that would have happened to me constantly oh, over the yeah, first forty three days. <laughs> if this were day forty three of my experience on an island, I would have already had a lot of conversations like Hurley yeah, had. I would have taken like five of the most interesting shits of my life already. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, okay, speaking of top five things, this is our top four most two thousand four things of the episode. Uh, number one, Kate gets a letter. And I'm like, a letter? <laughs> um, true, she gets money in that cash in that letter. Also, we don't know who sent that letter. The letter know. tells her that her mom's in the hospital. We don't know. Maybe Tom sent it. Yeah. Is Tom giving her money? Is these I don't these know. are answers we don't have. So who sent Kate that letter? But Kate got a letter? Paper letter? Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie thinking his death will bump record sales, not Spotify streams. Uh, Kate's fashion army jacket. And then Tom having a tape deck in his car so that they could play the time capsule tape. So is it Tom's tape deck, Kate's fashion army jacket, Charlie's dreams of going platinum, or Kate getting a letter? Neil, what is the most 2004 thing about this episode? I think it kind of has to be the Charlie record thing because of that was like a thing that you thought back then (laughs) when someone disappeared or died. Like it was like, oh... You know, this, this huge artist died or even like a small artist died and their record sales would go up and people used to care about what it meant to go platinum. Do you, can you still go platinum now? Or is it like, I got X amount of streams. I think you count streams and you count, you count like, streams, you, you count YouTube plays like Vivo plays and stuff like that. Oh wow. That. Okay. So then they're probably going just plat uranium. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, do you have an answer? Uh, I'm going to take the tape deck in the car because up until two years yeah. ago, I had a 1999 Jetta with a tape deck and you would not believe <laughs> the limited selection of things to listen to on tape these days. I think my car is old uh, because I don't have a, an auxiliary input on mine. Um, all right. So we are, uh, talking about, uh, I'm going to say Tom's tape deck. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, we did it. That's it. Excellent. Who are we talking? Or let's jump to our interview with Alex Sepinwall. Why did I forget that? It's impossible to forget. Here it comes right at your face. All right. We are thrilled to welcome to the podcast Rolling Stone's chief TV critic, the author of The Revolution Was Televised, The Soprano Sessions, TV the Book, among other things. It is Alan Sepinwall. Hello, Alan. How are you? Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, so much enthusiasm. I love it. Uh, for a Kate episode at that. Um, so <laughs> I gotta, I gotta sort of pump myself up to talk about Kate, I guess, <laughs> is what we're coming to. I like Kate, but I know not everyone does. And I know definitely at the time people were like, ugh, another Kate episode. Oy. I have mixed feelings about Kate, which I'm sure we can get into. <laughs> okay. Um, I was wondering if we could start by giving us, um, I know you didn't, review season like do week to week anything on season one of lost when it came out but um i know you've written about it in your book and i know that you've thought about it can you talk to me a little bit about the i don't know broader tv context of lost premiering like what was going on in tv at the time and why was lost like why did it strike the way it did when it did well joanna let me stand up here on the mountaintop (laughs) and 
Uh, pass down my wisdom. Now, uh, the year that Lost debuted was a really interesting one because obviously we, you know, we were five years out from when The Sopranos had debuted. There was talk, you know, like uh, all the hot stuff was happening on cable, whether on HBO or to a degree on FX. And the network seemed to be struggling a little bit to find an impact. And ABC in particular was really struggling because a few years earlier they had kind of devoted their entire primetime schedule to who wants to be a millionaire. Um, And they aired it on so many nights that it basically became impossible for them to devote time slots to any new shows they want to develop. So they were just at rock bottom. Uh, And then all of a sudden, in one development season, they somehow came up with uh, Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy, and a little show called Lost, Mm -hmm. uh, which came in and transformed the network and, you know, made broadcast TV the exciting place to be again for a while. Do you remember like what your uh, impression was of the series at the time when it premiered? Um, you know, did you think this is it? Oh my god! Or, you know, well, I I remember I had this very funny conversation. Um, so we get to see the pilot, as you know, before you know t- the TCA press tour, mm-hmm. uh, and so I watch it. I'm like, okay, wow, this is really impressive. You know, technically, production value wise, I'm really into this. I'm very engaged. And then I remembered when the smoke monster turned up, thinking to myself. Hmm, I was really enjoying this sort of this tale of survival. Do they need a smoke monster? Right. And I ran into at the TCA that summer. They had a, a reception for the Writers Guild, and I went up talking to a couple of writers uh, on the show. I think one of them was, was Liz Sarnoff, mm-hmm. and saying, like, I really like the pilot, but I'm not sure that, like, what is the monster for? And obviously they couldn't say anything about it, but... They had this look on their faces like, look, we've had all these conversations as well. And, you know, trust us. We think that this is going to go someplace that you're going to like. Uh, And, you know, not to get too much into it, maybe if you could say vaguely, did it go somewhere that you liked? Yeah, it did. Um, I remember, especially in those early years, I was more of a skeptic than I wasn't. And, you know, Damon Lindelof and I at the time had sort of a comically uh, antagonistic relationship (laughs) at any of these events or interviews. You know, he would he would describe it as basically like being hauled in front of a congressional subcommittee uh, whenever I would start asking questions. Because there there were parts of the show I clearly loved uh, and loved all the way to the end. And there were parts that drove me nuts. And those parts also drove me nuts until the end. But now that we're so far removed from it, I'm mostly able to let go of those and just focus on the stuff that I enjoyed. Yeah, that seems to be the sort of prevailing attitude. I even talked to a couple writers who worked on the show who left somewhat acrimoniously in these first couple seasons. And it just seems sort of like... Time and distance, you know, allows for us all to sort of unclench and relax about the things about loss that riled us up, you know. Um, and I don't know if we'll get there with Game of Thrones, but I, I imagine we might, you know. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, not to go too far off topic, yeah. but like when the Lost finale aired, it was obviously very divisive. But like, even at the time, you could find people ardently defending it. And I'm not sure, at least in the last few months, I've heard much in the way of defense of the Iron Throne. Yes. Uh, uh, you, deep in the fandom, you'll find it. But you're right. Crit- okay. Critically, not 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 so much. Um, all right. And then I'm and then I guess I'm curious. You, you mentioned there's things you loved about the show all the way through. And, and I think you, yes. you already touched on it a little bit in terms of like what happened pre monster that you loved. Um what do you think it is about season one, since we're nearing the end of our coverage of season one? What do you think about season one that made it um, so special uh, for people? 
Well, first of all, it was new. Like, I mean, there had been shows that had certain elements in common with this, but it's it's almost like the Citizen Kane thing where Damon and JJ and then Carlton took so many different elements that no one had ever thought to put in one show before um, that, that I thought was really special and surprising. And it was obviously executed at such a high level. Um, and the production values were great. Just sh- they got so much value out of shooting in Hawaii. Even something as basic as one of the, the early episode where the woman who is referenced in this episode um, is drowning in the ocean, Joanna. and Jack goes, "It's a Joanna." Yes, exactly. <laughs> so just the sequence where Jack swims into the ocean to try to rescue her. Yeah. I remember watching that and going, "Wow, this looks amazing. This is so intense." And I was so used to TV shows being filmed on a back lot on a sound stage, tried to fake this, that, or the other thing. And no, here we are out on the ocean, and everything felt more real and more dangerous as a result. On top of the fact that so many of the characters were so well-written and so well-played, and the story just kept moving and chugging along, and there would be these constant surprises like Locke, you know, having been paralyzed. What do you think... Um or I'll, I'll say this, uh, we have a lot of first time watchers with us on this uh, podcast. And um, I think it's an, another case of that um, TV has evolved so much since uh, TV looks so different now, you know, in a post Game of Thrones era, people aren't impressed by Jack, you know, diving into the surf because yeah. they've seen the sprawling vistas of Iceland or whatever it is. And so um, is that, yeah, is that, is that an element that I've underestimated just the sheer, Oh my God, this island visuals of, of lust. I, I think that was a really big deal at the time because this was also around when everyone was starting to get high definition TVs. Mm. I think, uh, the one that we still have in one of the rooms of our house, it's that old. <laughs> we got that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still works. So, you know, God bless Japanese craftsmanship. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, so people were getting these bigger TVs now. They had DVRs or TiVos or whatever their device of choice was at the time. And then some people were watching the show on DVD. So it was, it looked so much better than anything you'd seen on TV before. And you could also very easily freeze frame to sort of study and obsess over images. You could go back and say, wait, wait, what was that shadow? Who is that person? Could Is that somebody I know? Or, you know, what does this thing say? And, I, you know, for the benefit of the first time, people, I won't, you know, go into some of the stuff from later seasons, but there's a lot that, you know, I definitely spent a lot of time zapruderic over the years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and uh, coinciding with the rise or, or uh, you know, formatation of, online fandom like the redditors and stuff like that you know what i mean and red, red, oh yeah the internet detectives is what i like to call them but um as damon once said to me they were the first show to be crowdsourced by the internet you know to, <laughs> but to our benefit and their detriment i remember one time i was at an event talking with carlton sometime in season two maybe uh and we were discussing two characters and i said you know something that the show wouldn't reveal for another season and a half about them that the internet had figured out. And Carlton just took a step back. Like I had punched him because <laughs> he was just not ready to deal with that. And, you know, for the benefit of the spoiler people, it was the fact that which the internet solved within about five seconds of the episode, uh, with, you know, traveling around Australia. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. It's something that I think about a lot in terms of like specifically, John, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy in Westworld, just sort of like 
I don't know how frustrating it must be sometimes to try to craft a mysterious narrative in this current era of, you know, close Reddit watching of TV shows. So, and, you know, uh, I mean, the one thing I would say that I think distinguishes my feelings for Lost with my feelings for Westworld is I think there's so much more to Lost than the puzzles. And sometimes right. the puzzles were really exciting and sometimes they were not at all in terms of how they played out. But like the characters and and the themes and a lot of the other things about the show always left me feeling satisfied in a way that with Westworld, a lot of the time, if I'm ahead of where the story is, I'm not getting much out of it. Right. And so, you know, to, to circle back to that, you say we're five years after the premiere of Sopranos. We're like, uh, you know, already healthily in the era of the TV antihero. But what is it about? Lost makeup of characters, these archetypes um, that sit so well with you. Um, I think they just they did a really good job. First of all, with casting, and a lot of that was luck because they've said you know they were putting this together after pilot season was basically over, so they didn't have their pick of the cream of the crop. They just had whoever was available, and that's one of the reasons that the cast wound up being as inclusive as it was, just because that's who was there. But just like, you know, having Terry O'Quinn to play Locke, you could have, you know, lots of shows have sort of, you know, the mysterious wise man. But if you don't have a great actor playing him, you just want to slap that guy after a certain point. (laughs) You know, for all the problems I have with Jack at various points over the life of the series, Matthew Fox is really, really good and charismatic. Kate, Mm -hmm. I think, which we're going to get into, is sometimes an underwritten character. But Evangeline Lilly, like, I totally buy her as the badass that the show wants her to be. Um, You know, Josh Holloway, just every the people on the show felt real real and lived in right from the jump, which is really important, especially when the, the bulk of the first episode is just them scrambling around on the beach, not knowing what to do, not knowing anything, dealing with exploding, you know, airplane engines and, and all of that. Absolutely. And and then the last sort of broad question I'll ask you before we, we dive into this episode that I've made you rewatch is, um, the, uh, the boon of it all. We're only like a few episodes out, out of from the death of boons. It's, it feels like a relief to be finally be able to talk about that, uh, for our listeners. Well, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering what you think of it. it, it it doesn't feel that massively significant in the long, you know, people don't think about the death of Boone as this big sort of like TV changing event. It's not the death of Ned Stark or anything like that. But um, I don't know. What do you think it is about that character that didn't work? And what do you think uh, it, it, his death at this point in the series did for Lost Reputation? Um, it's interesting because uh, I don't think Boone was a terrible character, but certainly like if they were going to kill someone off at this stage, he was someone they could very easily lose. And, right. you know, there are, there are deaths later in the series that hit much harder because those people made more of an impact. Um, I think Boone was fine. I think, uh, you know, in part because of what I know about how this thing was thrown together in a rush. I, I think JJ and Damon, to a degree, were throwing a lot of ideas at the wall and seeing what stuck. And they weren't quite sure which characters would catch both their fancy and the audience's fancy. And, you know, I don't think Ian was doing anything wrong. Um, I just don't think he was ultimately as interesting either on the island or in his backstory as a lot of the other people. So at a certain point, it was, how many characters did they have originally? Was it 12? Yeah, 12 or 14. 12 or 14. That's, a, that's yeah. too many for any show to service. Um, and, you know, Lost had to juggle through that a lot. So at a certain point, like, you have to decide, all right, well, we can't keep telling stories, and how much are we going to be able to revisit this whole oddly incestuous, you know, bond between the two of them? 
All right, let's let's move on. And definitely, if you're going to keep one of them, Shannon was the one to keep. Shannon, so interesting. You, um, I, I think I was tweeting a little bit about Shannon, and you responded. Um, just, just wondering about her. You know, without without getting into too much of her journey, like that character, that sort of Paris Hilton esque character in two thousand four was, I think, a real challenge for for audiences to want to root for. And then I'm finding our viewers now in two thousand nineteen are really rooting for a Shannon. Um, <laughs> in, in, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, what, you know, well, it's it's, it's it's very far removed. You know, I I think the the performance there was really good, and also like the the advantage that she had over Boone was that she was funny. So yeah. on a show like this, when there's so many different things happening all at once and so many stories to service and so many mysteries, sometimes like the only way you can make an impression in a small amount of screen time, especially when you are not central to the plot, as neither of those two were, is with some good one liners. So like calling Boone God's friggin' gift to humanity, that in and of itself buys her like, you know three quarters of a season worth of goodwill and makes like an impression in a way that he honestly never really did. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I was reading some interviews with Ian, you know, when he was written off and how he felt at the time. And then like years later, cause you know, he had a huge amount of success on the vampire diaries and he was basically like, why didn't I ever smile? Why didn't, why wasn't I ever funny? Why didn't I do that? He was like, I basically stole Josh Holloway's whole Sawyer performance, did it over on the vampire diaries uh, to great success. So that's what <laughs> I should have done. And I was like, all right, that's a, that's a good way to learn a great lesson from. I, I also think that sometimes like there is a certain amount of pressure put on the extraordinarily beautiful to like just be beautiful if you know what i'm saying right. yeah, yeah yeah and you know not that this is a cast full of ugly people but uh just i don't know that he was given a lot to do and i don't know that he could have gone and done a sawyer thing with the material he was given but also i'd watch him in a number of other things there was that bad wb summer show that was sponsored by right. Coca-Cola. um yeah. young americans that's what it was so yep. I'm glad things ultimately worked out for him, but uh, in the end, while he was being bumped off of a huge hit show, it, it did him a favor because I don't think Lost was the place for him to shine. All right, so let us talk about Kate and this episode. Sure. So this, I actually really like this Kate flashback versus some other Kate flashbacks. It's very, we still don't know exactly what she did to send her on the run. Um, yes. Spoiler alert, there's an episode called What Kate Did. We will get to that. Um, but this is, uh, Kate on the run, Kate being, feeling responsible for the death of her childhood sweetheart and us finding out that Kate's mother sort of thinks of her as a, as a monster, as a threat. Um, you know, what do you, what do you make of this revelation? What do you, do you like the balance? Sometimes the flashback and the on island stuff doesn't feel like it goes beautifully hand in hand. What do you think of, of this flashback? I think parts of it are really good and parts of it are a little disappointing. The, the scene you just talked about where her mother sees her in the hospital room and is terrified and screams for help is great. Like, that's mm -hmm. such a perfect scene. And it really reorients your feelings about Kate, who to this point had been, you know, what, you know, our co-lead, the heroine to go along with Jack's hero. And we knew she had done something, but she had mostly behaved well and was trying to help people out. And then you realize she's going to all this effort to go see her mom and her mom wants no part of her, not even from hatred, but from abject fear. Uh, yeah. And I thought that's a really great moment. Um, the stuff of Sean Astin is – no, Mackenzie Astin. Sean Astin's the other one. Uh, <laughs> right, the, right. The, the, the stuff of Tom 
is good, but I remember like when we figure out about the the toy airplane, that was one of the earliest moments in the series where like, okay, we're gonna solve a mystery now where I said, Oh, that's what that was? <laughs> okay. Like I uh-huh. understand obviously its meaning to Kate. That makes sense. But the idea that she would have risked her freedom to get it, you know, in the previous flashback episode, uh, I I had a hard time making the math work back in the day. Yeah, I the the whole bank robbery just to get this thing. I mean, unless yeah, I guess she imprinted on it all all of her meaning. It becomes this sort of token for her. I don't have that relationship with objects, but I guess uh, if Kate does, more power to her. So yes. Um. Yeah, and it's <laughs> this episode opens with one of my least favorite. You know the. The show loves trying to fake you out on things. And this is my, one of my least favorite ones. It's like obviously Evangeline Lilly in a, in a terrible <laughs> blonde wig, uh, who then dyes her hair in a way that just doesn't actually work with hair dye. And then you're like, Oh my God, it was Kate. Um, and so <laughs> in some of these flashbacks, I'm just curious, you know, they try to do a similar thing. Uh, a few episodes before this with, with Jack's wedding and you're supposed to think for a few seconds that he's the best man and, and, you know, Zach Ward, the actor he's with is the groom or something like that. What do you make of these like little, like, they don't even last that long fake outs that Lost tries to throw at you in, in these flashbacks. I, I feel it's a bit of an addiction with the show, especially at this point, because mm. they had gotten such a big response from some of the surprises, you know, even back in the pilot with the monster, with the polar bear, with the, the radio call you know, towards the end. And especially after they did Walkabout. And they did the revelation right. about Locke, where it's like, oh, the audience loves this. Like, how can we surprise them at every turn, not only with cliffhangers, not only with weird hatches built into the middle of the jungle, um, but, you know, sort of little smaller stuff in the flashbacks. And I, I agree with you that sometimes they're just more trouble than they're worth. But it, it feels a little too baked into the DNA, at least at this stage, for them to have let go of it. That's fair. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned Kate as a character who works, who works on some level for you and doesn't on others. And there's, I was, I was looking through these old, um, lost memes and there were so many from the fandom of being like, ugh, not a, another Kate episode because, you know, we get a lot of Kate flashbacks. She was intended at, at a certain point to be the protagonist of this series. Yeah. When, you know, in the version where they wanted to kill Jack off. Um, JJ, obviously, I know he wasn't super hands on, um, but you know, after Felicity and Alias, you know, J- this is, this is an archetype that JJ really likes. Um, and why does it work and why doesn't it work for you, Alan? All right. So there, there's a few different things going on with Kate. One is, you know, she is our sort of backup protagonist to Jack because they sort of had to figure out what to do with her. And as you just talked about, and I think there's always a sense of Damon and Carlton having to scramble after the fact to say, all right, well, Jack is still on the show. So what is the purpose of Kate? So mostly they're able to make it work, but not always. Um, So I think she works on the action heroine level. I think as we've seen in the Marvel movies that she's done, Evangeline is sort of very convincing and effective in this strong, but silent kind of mode, but she's also at the center of this romantic triangle with Jack and with Sawyer. 
And I have to apologize because, like, I haven't revisited the first season in a number of years. And so I'm watching this episode wildly out of context. I don't know where things are between the three of them. But definitely any time the story leaned on that element one way or the other, there was definitely a sense of, okay, none of none of this is working for me. I will enjoy a good love triangle. I never really felt like this was a good one, though. It's so funny because I feel like Evangeline Lilly has so much chemistry with both of those actors um, and, and probably like with a, a rock or a tree or anything that she encounters <laughs> on that Island. Like, you know, she's just, she's that, you know, magnetic as it, as is Josh Holloway, as is Matthew Fox when he decides to be sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, the dynamic of it feels a little exhausted before it starts and then it just keeps going. <laughs> So, it's a little it's a little yeah. predetermined and they do some interesting stuff with them later on that we won't that I won't spoil but at this yeah. stage of things it was not exciting and I think uh Kate in the back half of the series I had much more affection for than I did at this stage. There's something we like a game we like to play in this podcast where we try to call out like the most 2004 thing about the episode. It's usually like something Shannon's wearing or, you know, the fact that Hurley has a discman or whatever it might be. Is there like a narrative, very 2004 thing about this episode that sticks out to you? You're like, ah, yes, this is what TV was doing at the time. I, I see. You know. I, I don't know that anything specifically about the period jumped out to me. There, there's other things, but not, not that. What did jump out to you? Arst. <laughs> the introduction of Leslie Arst. I was, this uh-huh. is the best thing you could have done for me was to give me Arst's <laughs> debut episode. Like, oh, I yeah? don't know that this would never make like a top 20 episodes of Lost List for me, but Arst is definitely one of their better minor characters. Uh, <laughs> and Dan- Daniel Roebuck makes a very good impression. And it's, it was this weird juggling act they had to do because there was obviously a lot more survivors than just those, you know, 14 main characters. Uh, and occasionally they would work them in, but not always well. And I like the idea that here's this just annoying teacher who's been hanging around the whole time. And instantly, as soon as he's bickering with the raft guys, you're like, OK, I can see how he's been here all along. And this is why we haven't seen him until now. But I, I buy that he's been there and he's <laughs> no one wants to talk to him. Everyone like, yeah, I think everyone does such a good job reacting to him. Just this sort of like I I buy into what you're saying, but I'm also deeply annoyed by anything that comes out of your mouth sort of arse time yeah there's a there's one uh background player in season one uh that we call rugby shirt girl because for like several episodes she just wore a rugby shirt but it's it's one of those where you're just sort of like they i don't know watching the background losses is always kind of fun like especially when they have to have a big reaction moment like claire's baby's here and you're like the camera's like this regular this regular let's zoom past these people you don't know this regular sort of thing so and and the thing the thing about arst is it's perfect because the show depends to a certain degree on idiot plot. Like people just have to make wrong decisions for the show to move forward or for this particular story to move forward. And so you have to establish, it helps to establish a guy who is actually right, but he's so annoying that you don't want to listen to him. Mm. Like I understand, okay, they're going to make the dumb decision because this guy's such a pain in the ass. Right, right, right. Exactly. Like, that's, that's the thing is like watching, I think you're right. It is so useful narratively because watching these guys build this raft, especially, uh, people watching knowing that there is like several more seasons of plot. 
they're like, well, this rap, rap project's not going to work. You know what I mean? Like, they don't know what's going to happen, but they know it's not going to lead to them living happily ever after off the island. So, um, Gilligan's got to sabotage sooner or later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what, you know, what else jumps out for you in this episode? What else is in, in your notes that you want to talk about? All right. So there, there's a moment when, uh, they bring Jack to see the hatch. And it's the first time he's seen it. And it's like maybe the quintessential bit of lost dialogue. I think I direct messaged it to you right after I watched that scene. Jack looks at it and says, my God, what is this thing? And Locke just says, exactly. <laughs> it's like what the hatch is doesn't even matter. And we're going to get into it. There's a really cool stuff in the hatch. But at the moment, it's just the fact that there's this hatch and what the hell is it? And that's the, it's the mystery box of it all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the mystery box, right? It's not a Rambali device. It's like this, the hatch I think of as the mystery box. Because you literally open it and have to see what's inside. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's also this online, a uh, mystery, this all uh, this on island mystery of who, who has poisoned Michael. And it is, it is very obscure because it's like, it's not Kate, it's Jen, it's son, and it's not, Michael's not the target, it's Jen. And it's, uh, it's a medical mystery. So, uh, you know, Jack is to play detective and stuff like that. What do you make of, of that on island plot? I think both the on-island plot and the flashback to a certain degree are suffering from the fact that they were doing was 24 episodes total because Exodus is just that long. It's whatever it is. They were doing a standard length uh, network season plus a couple of extra hours. Uh, And so they just in the later seasons of the show, when they negotiated to only do 13 to 15, there's a lot less fat. And at this point you can tell they're like, okay, we know that we have to do whatever we're going to do with the raft in the finale. How can we sort of kill time or stall things until we get there? We know that we probably don't want to go into the hatch before the finale. How can we stall things? So here, the raft is sabotaged twice. You know, right. first first Walt burns down the original one, and now here Sun is trying to poison people, and it's just, there is no point to it at all, except for the fact that the show is not ready for the raft to launch yet. It, it reveals to a degree some stuff about the relationship between Jin and Sun, between Walt and Michael, you know, Sawyer's desire to get the hell out of here, especially once he realizes that Kate will, will never be into him, at least in this that moment. Um but it's not super useful. And even the Kate flashback does have some good moments, but when they did the second flashbacks for characters in the back half of the first season, they were definitely for the most part, less exciting than the first one because they was just sort of harder to reveal things. So I definitely, there's a certain degree of just narrative redundancy to this episode and to this portion of the season in my memory of it. Yeah, it's ups and downs. There's some really, really good episodes here. We got, uh, the Locke flashback where you first meet Locke's father. Oh, yeah. That's a really good one that happens here. There's Do No Harm, which is Jack's, Jack, uh, getting married to Julie Bowen, but there's also like in that episode, Boone dies, the baby's born, you know, like a lot of stuff's going on. So there's like these really bright spots. There's the numbers in this yep. section of the, of the season, you know, so some bright spots. And then I think this one and the one that came before it, which is, uh, a, Sa- a second Saeed flashback. Um, yeah, you're right. It feels like wheel spinning a bit. Um, that, that extra fat of a 
long season. It is, it is insane it, it, in the year of our Lord, 2019, to watch a season of television that has 24 episodes. You're just <laughs> sort of like, cause 22 is one thing, but you're like, 24? Are you kidding me? So, like, if, if, yeah. it, if it's a procedural, it can still be done, you know? Right, but right. Like, yeah. a super serialized show doing 24, <laughs> that's, that's insane. And they yeah. were entirely right to say after a certain point to ABC, if we're going to keep doing the show, you have to let us make less of it. Now is the time on the podcast where we like to thank members of our small council. You can join our small council uh, over on patreon.com. You get a lot of stuff, including like bonus episodes, bonus interview content, and your name shouted out on the podcast. So I'm going to start by thanking a few newbies, starting with Ann Ledford, Ryan Connor, Wendy Marshall, Joseph Johnston, and Heather Carpenter. Thank you guys so much for joining the small council. Also want to thank uh, our stalwarts, including Mark Tozer, Christina Sullivan, Saquon Gatling, Joe Jankwa, um, no, Joe Janko, sorry. Uh, Bryce Quine. Yep. Katie Salambier, or Salambier, Salambier. Tom Witham, Ira Storm, Melissa Slaughter, Great Aunt Toast, Victoria McDuffie, Marion Donnelly, Lauren Wagsack, Jim Scott, and Anne Moreau. Thank you guys so much. And I'd like to thank Stacey Winkleplek, Jocelyn, uh, Luun DeMello, Cody Dragis. Fiona Grimm, Aaron, Julin Aberly, Brian Rapp, Holly Hunt, Christine Kippens, Madison Ray, hi Madison, Maddie, Carrie, <laughs> Adam Sullivan, Jason Blackmer, Robert Bowles, Chuck Parkey, Cameron Graham, Mark Jewett, and to- oh, wait, Tom Shapansky, and Micknick. And I would like to thank the following fine humans. James Barta, Shane O'Reilly, Jocelyn Land, Belinda Hogan, Callie Serrano, Jeremiah Perez, Micah Wood, Sarah Gates, Jane Phelps, Christina McNeeset, Brian Latino, Valerie Harvey, Ben Block, Maggie Paulin, Benjamin Jacoby, Matt Hayes, Tiffany Welker, Laura Kaminsky, Crystal... Shares Roberts. I went French on that. I hope that's right. And Kathy Schalberg. Thank you all so very much for being part of the small council. And we're back for the storm for Born to Run, where we get to talk about Locke decided when to keep secrets, and Jack decided when to keep secrets, because it's time for your Locke antagonist check-in. Is he an antagonist? Is he a bad guy? Who knows? But he has set uh, the hatch clock ticking in terms of dramatic irony if it's uh, the Chekhov's hatch and uh, the next, uh, the end of the season is, you know, the end of the season. Uh, we're finally, we're finally the hatch talk, and uh, hatch lock is my favorite hatch lock. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he believes so hard in the hat. Yeah, and then he d- believes that's, it, that's and then he gets in it, thing. and then he doesn't believe it, and then he blows it up, and then he believes it again. I just love that <laughs> that misguided that, antagonist uh, arc. Do you think that Walt was right that Locke shouldn't have gone into the hatch? Uh, I mean, the hatch is nothing but trouble in the is end. Is it? I don't know. And do you think, like, shouldn't he be able to touch himself and be like, don't go on that raft, Walt? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. if he can see, like... You can see something well, about, like, no, no, here's the, the thing. Hatch. What if, since Locke has spent so much time around the hatch, which we know 
covers a station that is around a bunch of electromagnetic power that uh, locks inner molecules have realigned somehow. Yeah, that's what Walt's sensing with his electromagnetic powers. Jesus Christ. Sure. Right, the ones that allow him to later talk through a computer. Yeah, when he was yeah. inside the computer. Look, all I'm saying is that if we're going to make our own crazy town theories in here, we should lat- <laughs> we should latch on to these things and at- not ask what's happening, but how could this be happening the way I want it to happen? Okay. Uh, I don't think Locke is an antagonist in this episode. He's very helpful in terms of the investigation. He's like, Jack is like number one, uh, you know, he's like Dr. House, Sherlock Holmes on the case, but Locke's sort of his Watson. He's asking other people questions, you know? He's like, so Hurley, blah, blah, blah. Tell what, me about the know? water. Yeah, tell me all about the water. So yeah, Locke, Locke is trying to figure out what happened to Michael. Right. And the hatch thing, you know, really, I never read, especially uh, back in the day, watching it the first time. Never really read Locke keeping the hatch secret as any different than all the various secrets that everyone's keeping from each other. That's That always seems just sort of part of the rules of engagement of being stranded on an island. Um, so, you know, when it comes up between them, it's, you know, it's an interesting piece of drama. But uh, I wasn't, like, harshly judging Locke for all of these decisions because he doesn't know who he can trust just yet with this hatch information. I do like in that scene where they're discussing it. Um, sorry, this is not a storm thought, but just like Saeed is sort of like uh, crouching sexily in the background. <laughs> just to let you know, no matter what he's doing. I mean, he's not even crouching. Let's just say it. He's squatting. And who squats sexily? Not many people. But Saeed, right. I mean, he gets it done. Getting that uh, that um, episode credit with his snippets <laughs> of dialogue followed by I extensive mean, squatting. Maggie Grace doesn't say anything at all. Mm-hmm, but is credited. <laughs> she just walks by <laughs> and gives Kate the stink eye. How dare you? Well, I just tried to kill to. someone last week, but how dare you? <laughs> I, I, I know you know where the guns are. There's a more efficient way to do this. Uh, interesting thing I saw on Lostpedia and then was then reminded of. It's actually not monsoon season, and they retcon that in a Lost short uh, about how Arns is just an idiot. And like, who has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so our whole ticking clock thing is just like based on one bullshit scientist that Joanna correctly pointed out is using plastic bags, uh, to prove his point and nothing my else. My favorite thing about Arst. Here's my favorite thing about Arst. Wait, can I guess what your favorite thing about Arst is? Maybe. Is it his neckerchief? No. Oh. It's that I don't think I've ever seen a character show up on a, on a television show and get dunked on so <laughs> efficiently and hard. Like this dude, nothing goes right for that guy ever. Nope. Um, of course he's wrong about the weather. <laughs> he's terrible at all of this. Uh, and as we're going to see next week, he's not, he's not even around for very long, right? That's next week. He blows up. Yeah. In the finale. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a comic, yeah. it's a comic scene. Arst sucks. But yeah, they, they could have laid him in <laughs> a little is, bit like, more. So like, he could have just been annoying, but like in the next, we'll talk about this next week, but like he, he's just downright, like he just is dunking, he, not dunking on, he's being so cruel to Hurley that you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this guy is certainly going to die. Like, yeah. No, no shit. The show like butters you up to be like, I can't wait for this guy. To <laughs> I can't die. wait for this guy to be pieces. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we'll talk about, you got some mercy on you next week. Um, <laughs> uh, but is there anything else like storm wise we need to talk about in this episode? Um, and everything pretty much feeds into the finale. I did, I, I struggled for a second to remember whether or not we knew any more about what Kate did to be on the run, but that's a later, that comes much later. Yeah. Um, what Kate did, I think yeah. is the name of that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's in what, season so, two? 
Yeah, so mm-hmm. we will find out what Kate did in terms of blowing up her stepdad, why her mom is uh, does not want to see her, and then we'll meet her real dad multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we still don't. I don't think we ever find out who sent that letter, though, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I thought that he left it behind for her as he left the hotel. But uh, you're right that Who it's weird it? that he's then su- uh, Tom. But then it's weird that he's surprised that she shows up. Why was up he to- in the hotel? Isn't he the he be people that left at the beginning? No. No. Oh, no. Oh, well, there you go. Look, all white guys kind of look the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it's understandable. Uh, yeah. But so that's uh, that's a that's a mystery that's never solved because I think they leave it open for like Kate to have a sister. Some I don't know because like it's a very like flowery mm-hmm. writing and and then there's a whole bunch of money in there right. too. And it's like uh, bummer news, Kate. Your mom's in the hospital, but like we don't know who sent it. Yep, lost, I also lost love too. Just the 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 sort of the <laughs> the chutzpah that it takes to like put in a character like Arst right there at the end and have that be the fake out and have and then introduce Ana Lucia like immediately in the finale. <laughs> Isn't that like right at the beginning of the finale or is that the beginning of the second part? I think it's I think so uh our listeners were were like so the finale we're gonna discuss all in one chunk. Right. But it aired on different nights. Part part one mm-hmm. aired and then part two and three aired together as a two hour thing. So Ana Lucia is at the beginning of one of them. I want to say it's mm-hmm. the beginning of part two and three or something like yeah. that. Yeah. She's at the top of one of the hours. It's pretty great. So, and you're like, is that? <laughs> What's going on here? I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Stormwise, I can't think of like much else for us to talk well, about. Well, yeah. We're right on the cusp really of like everything like breaking loose. And yeah. so, Neil, remind us what we're doing for uh, uh, probably the Storm's, uh, I don't know, biggest, biggest episode yet grandest the largest yes of this episode is going to be uh it's gonna be great uh hopefully it will not cause an exodus which is what the episode is called <laughs> it's episode 23 uh parts one two and three or just one and two depending on how you're seeing it i think on the blu-rays it's only two parts um they just aired it as three um doesn't matter it's all of on it. hulu it's a three it's so three on Hulu. There's like a there's a crafted only for Hulu previously on Lost that mm. never aired uh, on TV. Yeah. So. so yes, the season one finale. Very excited to. Uh, we have a talk about we have one ends. very special guest and maybe two very special guests uh, if we're lucky and good. So uh, we'll find out. Who Say your prayers to the island yeah. gods. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Smoke monster. Excellent. Until then, when we finish off the first season of Lost, what a journey it's been. Where can people find more of your work online? Let's start this week with Joanna Robinson. Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can hear me talking about the TV show Succession on the HBO's, uh, on the HBO's, on Vanity Fair <laughs> Still Watching podcast. Uh, you can hear me talking about, uh, Emmys and Fantastic Fest and all that kind of stuff, um, on the Little Gold Men podcast. Um, or, the, there's one more I do. Ah, my so-called life. Boiler room. There you go. <laughs> Nailed it. And Neil Miller. Well, you can always get me over at filmschoolrejects.com and on Twitter at Rejects. And don't forget to follow the show at Storm Podcast. Uh, make sure you stay up to date on all the fun. Come see us in Denver. It'll be great. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also find me on the Fighting in the War Room podcast that covers pop culture and various things. 
And uh, yeah, also every week here on this podcast, even if we're not talking about Lost, reminding you that it's very important that you not be a boon and you not be a Teresa and you don't fall down. Hi, I'm Adam Walker, the host of Real Pink, a podcast from Susan G. Komen. Over the last year, I've had the opportunity to meet so many people affected by breast cancer. I've interviewed thought leaders, celebrities, doctors, and men and women living with breast cancer. Their stories are so inspiring and really informative. We're taking conversations from the doctor's office to the living room. Please join us by looking up Susan G. Komen's Real Pink on your podcast app and subscribe today.